Imagine you are in a loud restaurant, not of your choosing, full of noise and people where the menu is enormous with its multitude of options. The waiter comes by often to make recommendations on some of those menu items, but doesn't often tell you why he's making these recommendations. How to choose when you are presented with so much choice, so much input as to what you should be doing. When it comes to chronic pain, knowing what to, to order that is going to best satisfy you and your needs can be challenging and overwhelming. Welcome to the Chronic Pain Experience Podcast. I am your host, Dina Chopolis, head pain coach and chief curator at Pain to Possibilities and the Change Pain Academy. In today's episode, we will be exploring one of the most popular items on the chronic pain menu, and that is physiotherapy. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today. Nathan Ojar is a physiotherapist in Quebec and the founder of Physio Connection, a Canadian network aiming to connect people living with pain with qualified physiotherapists. He is also a PhD candidate in rehabilitation sciences at McGill University. Nathan's research focuses on improving how physiotherapy students learn to manage pain across Canadian universities. And this is why I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really yeah. excited to be uh, here today. Great. I am excited for your message. Um, I think this is a really timely podcast simply because there's just so much shift happening within the chronic pain world. Um, and I really believe physiotherapists are, are leading the charge. Tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, it's a really exciting time to be working uh, as a physiotherapist and as a, a researcher in the pain field because so much is, is happening. And I'm really lucky to be part of a, of a network of researchers that are working to improve how physiotherapy students learn to manage pain. And the idea is really to kind of provide the next generation of therapists with the skill set they need to be able to really help the people that suffer from, from chronic pain. Ah, amazing. Yes, so timely. Because we know that there is such a large gap, right, between our current medical model, not to say anything negative about our current medical model. I just think that we have a little ways to go to be kind of more complete in our care. So as a physiotherapist, Nathan, what sort of gaps are you currently seeing in the medical model? The major gap that I, we see as, as physiotherapists is um, passive care rather than active care. Mm. And that's mostly due to maybe the lack of, of training, understanding, or lack of resources, right. I think. So it's not just a, a people problem, but a system issue. Exactly. And and what we see is a lot of the, the people that have chronic pain are just dealt with, um, just take this medication and read this and go off. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really kind of passive or something is done to them, like just get this little massage or this little manual therapy and right. that's, you're good to go. But we know it's a lot more complex than this. And so what we see in physiotherapy is that what we think we can do better is that we should be a lot more active with the people living with pain together, come up with something that makes sense for them so that they can take it on, make it their own and go back to living the life they want, you know, as a key player in this rather than a passive recipient of care. Right. Fantastic. And that's, I think, part of the reason I wanted to use the restaurant analogy or the large menu is that there is just so much choice and not a lot of guidance. And so you summed it up perfectly there. And perfectly aligned with what you just said, one of the complaints um, from our chronic pain community is they feel like care is really being done to them yeah. and not with them. And so it sounds like with your research and also just your approach to, to physiotherapy is that 
you want to have them as key players at the decision-making table, right? Yeah, and I think that's really important. So how is physiotherapy really helping to address this? Yeah, first off, I'll I'll just add to um, how people, you know, we mentioned that they often feel like it's passive, it's done to them. Right. But also to add to that, a lot of people don't feel listened to or understood by the healthcare providers. That's a big issue. That's part of the, you know, the things that we we should be working towards. Um, Right. And to answer your, your question as to how we are working to prevent that or to improve on that, mm-hmm. uh, there are two different ways, one in the research and then one in clinical practice. Mm-hmm. So the one in research um, is really about bringing people living with pain as partners in the research process rather than just participants that we do things to them and we're like, okay, this works, it doesn't. Right. Instead, we take them on board um, and work with them as colleagues and right. say, what, what would make sense for, for mm-hmm. you in terms of intervention design? How can we think about this from your perspective? Um, so having the voice of, of people who suffer from chronic pain in the research has been a really big uh, shift. And we see it now in even funding applications. Say, do you have a patient partner? Do you have right. someone who can tell you, you know, the story of people that actually go through that? Yeah. So that's really good to see that happening. And it's been fantastic on my side too, to work on people that have so much experience and knowledge in, in the field. Oh, that's fantastic. And you're right. I love that you're incorporating both because both parties are the experts, chronic pain patients. That's part of the reason I started working with chronic pain patients is they are probably the most intuitive bunch Mm -hmm. because they know so very well what's going on in their body, but may not be fully getting the the full explanation around how and why it's happening. So tell me some of the stories of what I wasn't really thinking about going this way, but I'm really intrigued as to, you know, some of the powerful examples you're seeing of when you include chronic pain patients into the research process? Mm-hmm. That's a, a really good question. I think it's when you create something that actually makes sense to people that are going to use it or, mm-hmm. um, you know, re- be recipient of it in the sense where you, you create something. Um, for example, we recently completed a profile of competency. So it's a, a tool that highlights what we think physiotherapy students should be able to do. Mm-hmm. by the end of the training in terms of pain management. Mm-hmm. So when we, we create this with you know, students, um, educators, but also people living with pain, when we have this tool and in the end we see, okay, this is making sense mm-hmm. to the people who will ultimately benefit from the care, the, the improved care, um, right. it really makes a, a big change. Um, and I've had the chance to chat with a few of people living with pain who are involved in research and right makes such a difference not only in their life but in the life of millions of other people right. to have their voice listened to and validated saying we're important we're not just subject of research we're part of it where we have a say in that and that's really valuable one of the key players absolutely i think that's fantastic now do you feel like with the research that you're doing and the examples you're seeing that i think part of the frustration regardless if you with, live with pain or not is compliance so how consistently are people doing these small exercises that have been recommended, doing the work to help them mitigate the pain. Do you feel like by bringing in people into the equation who live with chronic pain, that the compliance is starting to shift in a positive direction? In the research that I'm involved with, there's less um, clinical work. It's more about the education aspect. So I'm not Uh, sure if we comment on that aspect. Um, But some of the lessons I learned in clinical practice is if you're talking about compliance, um, you probably not providing things that are making sense to the person mm-hmm. um, be it because you didn't explain it well or because it's not relevant to them right. but if they have to force themselves to do it over and over again right. um, then maybe it's not um, the most applicable thing to in their life um, compared to if you were to tell them or to explain maybe it in a different way um, so that it actually makes sense to them like okay yeah. now, I, now I get it I understand why 
I should be doing this or why it's a good idea for me right. to integrate this in my daily life. Right. So I generally think those kind of conceptual changes have to come from within rather than just being like, oh, I do it because my physio told me to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well said. I think as a coach, I really appreciate that message. So thank you for bringing that out because it's yeah. true. It is yeah. a lot of inner work. And I don't think our chronic pain community truly appreciates that the yeah. external work they, they get, they live it day to day, you know, the multitude of appointments or, you know, understanding where to go next. It's, it's the internal work that uh, can be difficult sometimes. You, you don't need both, of course. Um, yeah. The idea is that the external work is there to facilitate this inner work by exactly. providing guidance, providing, you know, maybe the steps, highlighting what could right. be done. Right. Uh, ultimately, it has to make sense for, for the person uh, at an you know, individual level. Absolutely. No, so well said. So I know that part of the role with physiotherapy, too, is really helping our um, community to understand the importance, but also how to move safely, because movement can be one of those scary words. You know, they're being told you need to exercise, which, of yeah. course, that word in itself can bring up a whole multitude of emotions. But it's also, you know, having to deal with the fear around movement. And unfortunately, that is one of the gaps as well, is they're not necessarily being addressed how to move. So how do physiotherapists kind of, again, help to fill that gap between knowing that movement's really important to getting them to a point where they can feel a little more confidence in their yeah. movement. Um, that That is definitely a challenge. And we know that movement is so beneficial at so many levels. Not mm. only, you know, it's healthy for the, the body to be moving, for um, your heart, your brain, and all those uh, kind of uh, biological aspects, but also um, you get to do more of the things you enjoy, seeing your friends, uh, seeing your family, right. uh, doing this sport that you enjoy, or just um, going out for a walk. So movement is so key in so many aspects. And that's really the, the focus of our um, profession as, as physiotherapist right but now how do we get people to to move when they have pain and it, that's definitely um a challenge one of the ways that i really start that i really like to start this is by helping them understand the value of movement first so <laughs> understanding you know i'm not doing this just to hurt you i'm not doing this just because i said so i generally think this is a really good thing for you and we know it can help you you know live a long life but also it can help you kind of calm down the, the pain system that is right now quite overwhelmed and really highly sensitized. So we can, you know, calm this down through movement. It's really the key to mm -hmm. get back to the things you want to do. Mm -hmm. If you want to get there in the end, we need to start somewhere. So building this understanding together of, you know, movement is making sense. Is right. And then afterwards, it's really about finding um, the baseline of, as to mm -hmm. what people can do. And so this can be uh, for people that have this kind of a, what we call the boom bust cycle, what right. they do a lot in one go, go really high up and they don't yes. do anything for a few days and then start again. Recognizing this and like, okay, what's, what is the minimum I can do mm -hmm. that does not have this flare afterwards? And right. you can start with a simple movement like walking, something that you already do. You know, it doesn't have to be something highly complex. We can get there in the end, but let's start slow. Let's start easy. Yeah. And once you have this, this idea of baseline, you can then progress slowly over time. Right. Um, and so that's really one of the, the core principles of movement in physiotherapy. Uh, when you have chronic pain is this idea of graded exposure to movement or even to feared movements. You know, if you right. fear to do a specific movement, can we break it down into small steps and then right. go up one step at a time? Right. So that's really how I try to, to help my patients. And I think how evidence-based pain physiotherapists uh, are doing it is by building an understanding of the value of movement and then right. kind of 
implementing this into a graded exposure to it. Right. Which there's so much here that we can talk about. So let's spend a little time here because I know that um, there are going to be lots of questions from our listeners. I love the fact that you're saying that, and I, I firmly believe this myself, and that's why I do what I do. I believe that it's really important to build that context up first yeah. to really get an understanding of the why, the how, um, so that they have that investment up front. So I, I know physiotherapists are really, really good at that and also leading the charge when it comes to care. It also leans into the whole premise around how pain is the biological, the psychological, and the social. For our listeners, everything to do with chronic pain, even chronic illness, is always biological, psychological, and social in nature. And so, Nathan, you touched on those beautifully, how, you know, when we talk about movement, we also talk about fear of movement. So it's the physical as well as the emotional. And movement has so many emotional context to it. So just like we do with anyone who is experiencing anxiety is that gradual graded exposure. Thank you. Yeah. To, to whatever it is that you're doing. Those are really key concepts to keep in mind for our listeners is that it can be done and it will hurt right up front when they're just starting to move. It will inevitably hurt. However, when you have that contextual background, like you're offering them, then they will understand that it's, it is for the best and this is the, why it's happening and it will start to change as your movement starts to increase. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that any change will require some, some incomfort. I'm not sure it has to hurt like physically for the right. movement uh, aspect. But I think it will definitely be going beyond your comfort zone. Um, and that's, that's a better way um, to put it. Yeah, yeah that, that's how I would put it generally. So some people might have you know, a bit of a rougher time, but I wouldn't expect to have a big flarping pain right a good you know if you find a baseline yeah um, and ideally you would stay in this kind of a lower lower zone it might happen you might have therapy here and there right and that's part of the process but um right. yeah that's how i would frame it uh that's a good actually good clarification thank you i appreciate that i also just want to mention too that it's really important that the research is showing that it's not just movement it's meaningful movement i mean movement's important but if we're really struggling to move, then finding something that's meaningful just has that much more impact for sure. So like you mentioned, a small walk or mm. coupling it with people you love, you know, doing something with people. So, kind of I, yeah. I think that's for me, perhaps the biggest um, element of uh, person-centered care is really making sense in your treatment. So it's not mm -hmm. just saying, oh, we're going to pick, mm, let's do 10 push-ups and then right. five minutes. It doesn't <laughs> make sense to, to most people. Um, and it's the same for, for education about pain. Yeah. If you just are talking about neurophysiology and stuff like this it doesn't make sense to the person in front of you so it really has to be based on what is important to this person mm -hmm. and really by listening and understanding you know where do they come from what is important to them right. and then we really start together build a treatment plan that makes sense you know if they hate walking i'm not going to put walking in the treatment plan even though i think it might be a good way to start right you know, in general let's see what they already do actually i like cycling in you know on my bike at home right. um just do five minutes great let's start with that so yeah really finding things that are meaningful to them um mm -hmm. in terms of treatment in terms of goals will really make a big difference i think i know you mentioned you touched on the whole boomer bust cycle as well it can be one of those topics when you say the word pacing, which is another word for it. And I know the community, sometimes there's going to be those who believe that it's been a real lifesaver for them. And there'll be those who have no idea what it is. And then if you start to explain it, then there's that the fear comes in um, around what it is. So 
how do, and again, I think you probably answered the question already, but just explain to our listeners how you would address someone. If someone comes into you and says, well, my doctor said I should be pacing. I don't know what that means. And how do I go about doing it? Yeah. Um, I think there are also a lot of uh, misconceptions about pacing. So, so pacing is really about um, kind of breaking down one big activity into small bits, um, small steps, and they don't have to be carried out in the same day as well. So this idea of really kind of spacing it out into smaller, more manageable chunks is mm-hmm. the core idea of, of pacing. Right. Um, but often for some people, it sounds like a, a death sentence. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be stuck doing that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really unfortunate because it's not, it's not true. That's not the idea behind it. Right. The idea is it's a, it's temporary and it's something that we need right now to count the system down right. and then build back up. So right. it might be a bit longer than they would like to. Yeah. Uh, it might be, you know, a bit more challenging to, you know, refrain yourself from doing too much. Mm-hmm. But ultimately we know that this is the best way to get back to doing the things we want to do, to build up slowly over time. Um, and that's the same way, you know, we, we think about it in the context of chronic pain, but any kind of sports where you will have to train, you yes. need to have this, you can't just go hard all the time. Right. Uh, you're not going to get better like this. Right. We, you know, you need to have a structured way to go about it, taking right. it slow and looking for long-term progress. And I think that's one of the things that is missing is this aspect of this is not forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it's a step to get there, but it's yes. not going to last forever. Right. Um, and then the other element is about making sense of the movements, including yeah. pacing. Um, a lot of people are like, ah, why should I pace walking when I hate walking? But let's do something else and let's pace something. Right. So it's really about um, tying back to what I was saying, making it about the person and making sure it makes sense to them. Right. When it comes to physiotherapy, and one of the roles I see is really being important for bridging the gap between sort of the current physician care and self-care management that the chronic pain warriors can do is, again, along the lines of movement is when they've come home with scan results, and which we'll talk about in a moment in more depth, but They've heard that there's this going on, they have this diagnosis, and there obviously is a lot of fear around what their future holds for them. I think one of the things I really see as physiotherapy being helpful for is the assessments that you can do along with the context and the, hey, this is why we're doing it, Mm. to be able to show them that some of these scans are not necessarily as bad as they may sound like they are coming across as. So how, as a physiotherapist, do you guys sort of pull those two together? Yeah. So perhaps I'll start with, um, I was taking a step back um, and kind of explaining how we, we shifted our understanding of pain and what does that mean for scans versus what right. we do as a physiotherapist. Um, so we initially thought that, you know, pain equals damage. So if there's a lot of damage, there's a lot of pain. Right. Uh, but then we started to realize it's not as, as simple as that. Um, if you think about a paper cut, it's tiny, but it hurts a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of examples like this. We're like, okay, so there's a lot of pain, not a lot of damage, or there's no pain, but a lot of damage. How do we kind of make sense of this? Right. And we realize that pain is an experience that is a lot more complex than, than just damage, just what's happening in the body. As any experience, you know, the emotions are going to play a role. Your biology that you're not even aware of is going to play a role. Your context, your understanding, all these are going to factor in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of you know, brings us to the scans, uh, where initially you thought scans equals damage equals pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we realize, first of all, that a lot of people that are fully healthy, um, that have no pain whatsoever, that probably won't have pain, you should have those scans that show 
damage, and I say damage between quotation mark, uh, that mean that people should have pain between quotation mark. Um, but that's not true. We know it's only part of the, the picture. Um, pain is a lot more complex than this. And you have a lot of people that don't have pain despite having those changes. So it's not really helpful unless it's showing something really major. So if you have, you know, broken bone, scans are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a, a major tear, that's really helpful. Right. Um, but in most cases, knowing that you have a disc bulge or a little little tear here and there is mm-hmm. not really helpful because it doesn't tell us much about your experience, first of all, but mm-hmm. also about what we can do. And this is where physiotherapy comes into play. It's really this idea of let's look at what we can do based on what you can do already. So by doing the test, we can really assess how your joints are moving, how you're doing, how you're feeling about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then based on that, we can you know build a movement plan based on what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And it's a better kind of representation of your abilities than a scan. Right. And an example, I think the, the terms that I use as well are quite detrimental. So think about one of the terms that I use is would be a tear for tendon around the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is that we have this idea of a rope that, you know, that is taut and then you have a little tear in that and it's going to grow over time if you put tension on it. Right. But that's not really an accurate representation. Mm-hmm. It's more like a blanket where you might have a little hole in it, mm-hmm. but you might pull the blanket. It doesn't mean it's going to tear because ah. it's, it's really strong. Right. Um, so it's, it's not that helpful to have those those terms there. Um, I think having a look at you know from physiotherapy and understanding what are things you can do and let's build on that right. is a, a better way to go about that. Right. Oh, so well said. And I love the analogy of the rope and the blanket mm-hmm. because it's true. I think that's also one of the gaps being filled beautifully by you guys and by pain coaches and educators is that our medical system doesn't have the luxury of time to be able to explain these things, you know, and I think it's really important to have that context. Of course, there's going to be fear. If you Mm -hmm. see an image where there's a tear, you hear the word, (laughs) you smell the clinical smells around you when you're getting that diagnosis and the look on the doctor's face, it it all adds up, which touches on what you mentioned earlier about context and how it all matters. I think we need to find the balance between overdoing it, underdoing. Obviously, scans are really important for finding things that need immediate attention, something that has uh, damage to the tissues. I know the difficult part is for our community, and please, if you have any clarification on this, I'd love to get it from you, but acute and chronic pain, acute pain being, of course, the damage to the tissues, the sort of short term. And then there's the chronic stage, which of course, so much different than acute. The challenge is they both feel very much the same. And so that's where it's really easy, right? For the community to feel like, ah, I've done more damage because I feel that pain. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's really a challenge for um, day-to-day people that might not have um, a detailed understanding of the human body, like physiotherapists, you know, that have this, this additional training. So I don't understand how it can be confusing uh, around this. Um, so the way I think about it is that acute pain is really um, driven primarily by the damage, the injury. You know, when mm-hmm. you break your leg, you expect to have pain right. um, and you most likely will. So that's a kind of this idea of acute pain that is primarily driven by the damage. Right. Um, chronic pain is when we think that damage is a lot less likely to play a role and uh, in that so it means that it's driven by other things like hypersensitivity of the system right. um, or a bunch of other factors are yeah. completely thereof mm-hmm. um, how do we make the difference though and that's the key question um, right and it's really anchored in our um, clinical reasoning where we have a good understanding of how long the body takes to heal usually we know the body is amazing at healing it's right. really one of the things it does best yeah um, 
So we are quite confident based on our knowledge of time scales for healing that mm -hmm. if you had a broken bone um, and you still have pain two years after, mm -hmm. it's really unlikely to still be the bone. Especially, you know, if you had uh, an x-ray that showed actually the scan is showing the bone is straight, you know, I think it's doing good. So yep. based on that, based on this combination of factors mm -hmm. and also combined with the tests that we do as physiotherapists, we're like, okay, we check this, this and that. So I'm quite confident that the primary issue is not the damage anymore, but it's a bunch of other things. And that doesn't mean your pain is not real or you're making it up. Your pain right. is real, trust me on that. Right. But right. it just means that it's more likely to be driven by something else than right. the damage. This might be hard to understand, but it really opens up the door for um, better treatments. Uh, because if you focus on my leg is broken still or my yeah. back is out, um, right but actually that's not the main driver, then you might be still doing things that are not helping what is the main driver. It could be right. hypersensitivity. Right. Um, so this really, having this understanding is key. And this is why it's important to have, you know, healthcare professionals that know about this stuff, mm -hmm. uh, help you through that if you don't yourself have this knowledge. Yeah. And then orient yourself towards treatment that target those factors better. One of the things you mentioned that I think is really important is obviously we talked about context when it comes to chronic pain. This is a big topic we could spend a whole other hour on that really everything matters when it comes to chronic pain and, and illness. But one thing that I know is really important, and I know you are probably doing a ton of work around this on your research, is that words matter. And I know you are really good at reframing and you are really good at picking the words that are a little less scary, far more uh, empowering in the sense that you do have more control in your court. Mm -hmm. uh, so with your research or even in your practice, how how important are the words that uh, practitioners are using in our chronic pain experience? Yeah, it's it's really important. Um, mm -hmm. and as you mentioned, the uh, context is really is king in any experience that you feel. Right. Um, if you think about, uh, just to, to give a little example, you think about someone touching your thigh, and this is your partner, is going to feel quite different than if it's a stranger on a bus. Mm -hmm. But the same same thing, but the context is so different. Mm -hmm. um, so that is to say that the context is really important and words are part of what you understand uh, and are really part of this context. So if I tell you a word and you understand something extremely scary, like if I say tear, but in my mind it's like, oh, no big deal, just a little tear, you know? But in your mind, if you tear, this is the beginning of the end. I'm going to tear away my shoulder. And, you know, this is really dramatic in how you're going to perceive your injury and what you're going to do about that, but also subconsciously, how it's going to make you more aware of it, more hyper-focus on it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really important to make sure that um, you're using words that are, first of all, making sense to the person of you, right. not, not, you know, not making it worse. Uh, and that can be quite challenging because you never know what someone might or might not understand. Right. Um, so the way I, I go about it is, first of all, try to be accurate. Mm -hmm. And try to explain as much as possible about the words that I think could be misunderstood. Right. Um, so by accurate, I mean that saying things like your back is out or you have 80 years old knees is, yes. not, is not accurate. Right. It's not helpful on its own. Right. Um, so in, in, my, in my mind, it might just be, oh, it looks like you have some changes that are linked with, you know, all the population. That's fine in my mind, but it's misinterpreted and not helpful. So I would refrain from using words like this. Yes. But instead, I would change, you know, I would say you have changes uh, there. And then rather than just leave it at that, say, what can we do about it? You know, right. this calendar gives me the opportunity to explain by changing. I mean, this looks like you haven't moved in a while and therefore it would be good to move because 
The body likes movement. It's going to make this better. It's going to help with that. So really using words that offer the opportunity to build on, to explain and offer like a direction uh, is really something that um, I I try to do in my practice and I think should be done more. Absolutely. Oh, well said. Uh, Two really important things come from that. So when we were talking earlier about hypersensitivity and where chronic pain often comes from this Mm -hmm. this nervous system uh, over, over, activeness is words, you know, nothing like the initial sound of 80 year old knees or a tear alarming the systems. I mean, our pain is meant as an alarm system, but with that hypersensitivity, it becomes hyper aroused. And so one simple word, one Mm -hmm. simple image, like you mentioned, is really going to heighten that, that Mm -hmm. sensitivity. So that's important to remember. And then the other thing too, is as you also alluded to, is that if we know that it's coming from a place of hypersensitivity, the safety is really important. And I think that's what you are doing beautifully is offering that nervous system a sense of safety by uh, reframing things, by offering words that are much more comforting and powerful with a direction forward. So cannot emphasize enough the importance of safety. And so I'm really excited that your research Mm -hmm. is helping um, ultimately the chronic pain community, but also those who service them. As far as people who may be listening to this at home, uh, if they've not been given the direction to go see a physiotherapist, but they have been told to move more, is there anything that you would recommend that they can just get started with? Yeah. So the the first thing I would, um, the first message uh, is that um, there's hope. Um, and so a lot of people that have chronic pain, rightly so, feel that there's no hope. There's no thing moving forward. They probably have seen a lot of different providers um, and not sure how to move forward. Uh, but the science is clear that there's hope. Things can change and the systems can adapt both ways. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, I would encourage people to have a, a good look at what they're already doing. Yeah. And understanding, you know, am I trying to really understand, is is there a, tra- a trajectory of all in what they're doing? Is this, you know, a boom-bust cycle? Mm-hmm. Is it, I'm going to avoid pain, and therefore I'm going to do less and less and less? Mm-hmm. Um, and once you organize this, you can start thinking, okay, now that I know where I'm at, what am I already doing? Let's mm-hmm. try to understand this, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're already working, um, and it's not making a big difference either way, mm-hmm. that's a very good starting point. You're like, okay, I know I can do this and mm-hmm. not have a huge flare-up. Mm-hmm. Let's there. And then let's try to, you know, bring it up a bit, week on week. Let's try to increase a bit. And it's really about finding um, what I call the Goldilocks zone. So not too hard, not too easy, not too painful, not too um, neutral. It's really about finding something that you can do, you can manage. That doesn't seem to be creating huge Mm -hmm. flare-ups. And then kind of keeping this and then increasing it slowly over time. Um, So this is, this is like the general principle that what we do in treatment. And the reason why you might still want to see a physiotherapist that knows about that is, is that we really have this kind of expertise to tweak it, to really make sense of it together. Because sometimes it's really hard to look at it and be like, oh, this is why I had a flare up there, or this is why um, you know, it didn't progress as needed. Right. The, the overall concept is, is quite simple. It's simple, but not easy. So give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, see what you can do already by yourself. And then if you're still stuck, I encourage you to reach out right. to people that have this understanding of pain that can you know, answer questions like, how do I know if my uh, pain system is being overprotective? Right. What do I do, you know, to calm this hypersensitive system? Right. Um, how do I know if I'm safe to move? So all these questions that are um, need to have, you know, clear and useful answers. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a good answer there, maybe they don't know 
as much as about pain as they should. So it's really about finding and building the right team around you once you want to get to this next step. Right. Absolutely. I mean, the more we can educate, the more we can share how the importance of is of, of our chronic pain community being in the being at the table, the decision-making table is important. And I that's, I think, what makes me so sad is uh, I'm in a lot of chronic pain Facebook groups, really seeing what life is like with chronic pain on a day-to-day basis. I'm intermittent pain. I'm not always in chronic pain. But it just makes me so sad that there is this real helplessness and lack of hope. And so thank you for wrapping this up. We're almost done with the word of hope, because I think it's really important to message. Just before uh, we talk a little bit more about what you're doing, strategies for flare-ups I think are really important because before you have a flare-up you have a sense of what you're able to do to help mitigate the pain when you are in a flare-up any advice you have for our listeners around what they can do with a flare-up yeah um so I think there are two broad categories of things to do the first one is um during the Mm flare-up and then the second one is um around the Mm flare-up um so when when you're in the middle of a flare-up um I think it's about finding the things that help you kind of calm down a bit. It sounds quite uh, easy. or just find something that works, but it's true because it's really personal. Uh, what makes you feel better? It might just be lying down with, you know, a wet towel on your face. It might be having a tea or seeing some friends. So it's really about finding the things that work um, to kind of make it a bit easier. Mm-hmm. But also remembering that this is not forever. Like it sucks. Don't get me wrong. It's horrible right now, but yeah. it's not forever. So okay. this flare will pass. Right. So that's, I think that's really important in the middle of the flare-up. Mm-hmm. Now, around, I think what could be really useful is kind of trying to keep track of what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's easy to think back and trying to make sense of things. Uh, but then you realize, oh, I forgot about this and that. And right. so having some kind of, of log of saying, actually, I did this much activity uh, and I had this big stressor in my life. I didn't sleep well. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I had this uh, big exam coming up. Uh, all these factors one combined can lead to a flare-up. So if you can kind of keep track and say, actually, I walked four times more <laughs> than the last few days right. on that day, just before my flare-up, maybe there's a link. So using that as a tool to kind of reflect and then plan for the next one saying, okay, let's try to keep the same activity level for longer this time. Right. It's going to help to kind of mitigate the flare-ups. And oftentimes, this should not only reduce in intensity, but also in frequency right. until you probably don't have any anymore. Right. Oh, fantastic message. I think one of the main points out of what you just talked about, which I love so much, is that we are really encouraging our community to become much more curious in their pain, much more observatory, like really watching their pain from sort of a higher level. So what was it that created, you know, that intensity in pain? And what was I feeling? And what did so I think the more people understand that it is contextual and that to observe what was surrounding it is a really powerful tool. It takes practice, obviously, and it takes time. But uh, I think, yeah, that's a a beautiful combination. Mm -hmm. All right, Nathan, is there anything else that we may have missed other than we'll get to how we can reach you uh, in a moment? But is there anything else based on what we've talked about that you wanted to add to the conversation? Um, Not that I can think of. Um, I really... Yeah, really want to emphasize emphasize that pain is is real, yeah. um, that pain is valid. Um, right. that you you should really look for people that have this understanding of pain, um, to help you build on this hope that you know, there's a better future for you. 
Right. Oh, and thank you. That was the one thing I wanted to address. Really important for our people to understand to seek out those who are informed in chronic pain. And if you are living with unresolved trauma, then to seek out someone who is also um, well-spoken in in trauma as well. So Nathan, how can people get a hold of you if they would like to reach out to you? Yeah, so the, the easiest way is really to go through Physio Connection. Okay. Um, so we have a, an Instagram and a Twitter account mm-hmm. um, where we publish uh, quite frequently, at least once a week, some content about chronic pain management. So even if you're just interested in having a look at, you know, what are the things, the message that we share and just want to learn a bit more about pain management, okay. um, that's the best place to, uh, to find me. Ooh, I think it's important for people to understand that they have choice and that they have hope. Nathan, thank you so, so much for being a part of this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Hey there. Thanks so much for being here and for listening in. By you being here today, it states loud and clear that you are either curious about learning more about your pain or you are ready to truly shift and become the expert on your pain. Either way, we've opened the doors to the Change Pain Academy. The Academy is a space to radically shift your understanding of pain so that you can be one of the key stakeholders at the decision-making table for your chronic pain care. The space is also to support you as you implement new skill sets and behaviors to change the pain so that you can get back to a life well-lived. And the best part? We do all of this inside an incredibly supportive community where we learn, grow, and celebrate wins together. It's a community for warriors by warriors. For more information, go to pain2possibilities.com.